Like I found myself in a position previously a couple of times in my career where I feel like I'm doing all this amazing work in the background. I'm doing the thing and, and my boss trusts me. Like I've actually had my, my, my boss come to me and say like, I trust you, you got this. I know you're doing the thing, do your thing. Welcome to the What is UX podcast, the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience so that you may learn from them. I'm your host, Peck Pompat. Welcome to the What is UX podcast. And on today's episode, we have Nicole Torgerson. She is the Vice President of Design at Dialpad. And previously, she was at uh, the Head of Design for Dropbox Core and Enterprise. And before that, the Director of User Experience at The Gap. And before that, the Head of Global User Experience at Monster.com. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah. And real quick, I'm your host. If you're new to the show, uh, my name is Peck Pompat, and uh, I am the founder of a design agency. We primarily focus on digital product design and help enterprises and SaaS companies do design and build apps. All right. And so today we're going to talk, uh, so Nicole, in your words, what do you do at Dalpad? So at Dialbad, I've been there for about seven months and I am working right now on scaling the design practice. It's a relatively nascent practice, been around for uh, a few years at Dialpad and we're in hyper growth mode and a pre-IPO. And so there's a lot to do. There's a lot of design <laughs> to do and there's a lot of you know, shaping of the, the actual practice itself and bringing in like design thinking and design practices to the company. When you say design is new, I mean, I'm, I'm quite familiar with Dowpad, the product. I mean, they've had a pretty decent product before. What, what were they doing before they had, you know, the notion of a design, you know, when you say nascent? Yeah, I say nascent because um, up until about a year ago, there were about four people on the design team. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and the, Getting a the lot done. <laughs> design leadership was um, sort of a little bit more at the line level. level. It was not at the executive level. So, yeah. Good, good qualifier. Yeah. And so the, 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 the Dialpad product has essentially, it's got its roots in VOIP. So start way back with like the original founders. They created what eventually became Google, became Google Voice. That product was acquired by Yahoo. And, and then they uh, went off and created uh, another product. They created another company called Grand Central, which is an acquired by Google. Decided that they wanted to go off and, and do their own, you know, do their own startup yet again. So they picked Dialpad back up bought the name from Yahoo <clears throat> and then started to continue to pursue the OIP and then the natural sort of scaling of VOIP on the within the enterprise application is looking at contact centers. So all the software that um, supports agents and supervisors that are taking calls from customers and providing support. That the sort of core in VOIP also sort of blossomed, as you can imagine, over the ne next couple of uh, the past couple of years into unified communications. So if we think about like Zoom, like we're using now, Slack, Teams. So we've created a product over the past over the years. It predates my joining Dialpad for sure. That sort of combines voice, video, chat, any type of communication you can think of, all in one application. And uh, we're actually at a point right now where we're working on. Sort of a new market called TrueCast, which blends all of this together. So agent experience, supervisor experience, knowledge worker experience, all in one. Central place and tie it all together. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and side effect of that is hopefully you create a much better customer experience because it's not all disjointed. 
Exactly. Yes. Creating that sort of seamless, frictionless experience. They always seem to ask me questions all over again when they transfer me or or things like that, or, you know, the left hand doesn't seem to know what the right hand is doing. Yeah. 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 And and the other thing that I, I, I didn't mention is that it's all supported by our proprietary AI technology. So we have an entire team that focuses on AI, machine learning, natural, natural language processing, so that we, we've, we're building that technology to help with sort of like what you just mentioned. You call into a, a company and, you know, they may or may not know anything about you or if you've contacted the company previously. And so we're, we're actually working to solve that so that the end user's experience, the customer's experience is much more enjoyable. Got it. Yeah, I'm actually familiar with, uh, I was a very early user of, of Google Voice and I'm also familiar with Grand Central Station. I didn't realize the founders basically were connected to all that. <laughs> oh yeah, they've been working together for uh, over 20 years at this point. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A, in the voice, uh, the void space. Yep. So in terms of leading the design team, how, how big, you said when you, you know, in the early days it was four designers and now how big is it? We're at 19 right now, and we're about to add, I think we're at like seven more roles that we'll be adding this year at least. Got it. Great. Well, I'd love to take a, you know, a stroll to through your career, memory lane, and, you know, if you could take us back before you were a design leader, and maybe actually, how, how, do you, how did you get into design? That's always a great story. People, people yeah. always ask you know, like I try to get feedback and people always want to know that. So I try to ask. Yeah. What's interesting is, so I went to California State University in Sacramento and um, I started as an interior design major. <clears throat> At the time I was actually, I was, I always, I like to work. <laughs> and so whether I needed to or not, I, I took on a waitressing job and I happened to meet this interior designer who was like a regular at the restaurant. She invited me to be an intern one summer. And so I went intern with her. She's really lovely, really amazing practice and all that. I'm just really small, like she owned her own practice, but I hated the guts of the job. <laughs> I finished the summer and turned right back around. It's like, no way. I'm like, I had already, I was already two years into interior design. I know about textiles and I it was, you know, hands drawing, you know, plans and, and you know. What was about all, it all that things. you didn't like? I think that, I think one thing is, is that it just didn't feel natural to me. Like I I thought that I was more passionate about interior design and sort of bringing all the pieces together and creating a space. And I realized that it wasn't natural and I was forcing it. And so when you're forcing, especially something that's sort of like creative in nature like that, all of the sort of thinkless little pieces that you need to do, I don't know if it's thankless, but like all the different pieces that you need to do in order to bring an experience to life sort of start to feel like a chore. So like I did not enjoy drawing plans, (laughs) And, and back in the day, this was like, I, I wasn't taught CAD. I, you know, I had to actually use like a straight edge and like, you know, get really close and use a, a lead holder and um, just super detail oriented. So, yeah, I think, I don't know if I could put my finger on what I really didn't like, but I know that I came out of that thinking like, whoa, this isn't for me. And I went back and I think it was within like a month or so of the semester starting, I, I changed my major. And so I declared it graphic design. And at that point I was like, why didn't I not do this? Because when I was in I was in high school. I lived in the art studio. I, I was, it, it just made more sense to me. So, so yeah, I was, I was a five-year college student because I changed my major midway through, but it clicked. It clicked like immediately. So in school at, at the time, so this was like the late nineties, early two thousands at Sac State, 
there really wasn't a large design graphic design program myself and maybe my like sort of my peers, we kind of felt like we were like guinea pigs of the program because a couple of years after that, the program exploded and then they had more stringent, like, you know, entrance criteria and all that, but the program was really strong. And so I, I actually learned foundational like graphic design. I learned, you know, how to create a brand. I learned color theory, typography, art history, all of the things that help an individual understand how to create visual design, essentially. But I, I knew like I had a drawing to digital. And so I learned my lesson from my initial interior design internship to like, you better go test this thing out before you go get a degree. <laughs> so I started cold calling businesses in the Sacramento area and just saying like, I don't care what I do. I will just sit in your office and like, get you coffee. I just want to be there and see how you do what you do. And so I, I actually found a company called Noble Image. They're still, still there today. They've expanded their business as well. And it was a really, really small company. It was the, an owner and he had a developer and a designer. And like, I think that was it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was it. And it operated out of his house and he was just trying to like build a business. And so I went in and I don't think either one of us really knew what to expect of each other, but he's like, all right, here's a computer and like, you know, design some stuff. And so within a, a couple of months, I had created, I had used my, my traditional design, um, you know, education to date to create some like mock-ups, like, you know, it was the standard, you know, small agency, like create three mock-ups for a customer. And it, it felt really natural to me, like it felt right. And so within, I think it was less than a year or so, he, he decided to promote me to creative director and have me take over the design portion. And then I got curious about coding. And so I kind of started looking over the shoulder of the guy who was like writing the, it was just markup. Like we weren't doing anything super fancy. These were mom and pop websites when the company began. And so I kind of like, I just learned how to code. I just found, you know, found whatever resources. And I really got into that too. So so I was there for about eight years, actually, and helped scale the practice, kind of like co, co-running the company with the owner, doing RFPs, meeting with clients. <clears throat> doing designs, hand coding, you know, everything, many, many different. And we eventually did scale the business and started taking on projects with like Fortune 500s and some uh, more like SMBs. Um, and I got to a point where I'm like, I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm not learning anymore. I learned all the stuff. And so, and I was, I was just, yeah, I was like running design practice and like, I, I need to learn something else. So I looked around and I ended up finding a job. Ironically, I, I was looking on monster.com and found a job to work at monster.com. I was a little confused at first. Very meta. <laughs> it was very meta. Yeah. I was like, is this a, like a thing? And so this was a point where I actually, so my sister's also in the, in the industry. If you look up Michelle's Aston house, she's been in design for a while. She's a few years ahead of me. And so she, she was kind of giving me some advice and she's like, you know, you've been with this company a long time. I can tell you your value on the market is much higher than you think it is. You should go after it, go explore. So so yeah, I found the the job at Monster and um, you know, I was like, what the heck? So I, I interviewed and it turned out that so many of my skills that I didn't realize, like I learned information architecture by doing it. There, this was early 2000s. There were a few resources, but nowhere near what there are today. And so I was able to really like transition my expertise into this new role. And, and I got in there and realized, you know, I, it's, it's interesting because in my career, I've actually taken a step back in role and title a few times. And it's always that take a step back to go forward. And so I went from leading a design studio, creative director, head of like front end development, all that in a small company to just a senior visual designer, not even interaction designer, not a UX, senior visual designer at Monster. And I learned about the craft that is 
user experience, the sort of breadth and depth and the special specialization. And at that time, there were like visual designers, interaction designers, UX architects, writers, right? Research. And it totally opened my eyes to a whole new way of thinking about like design, like approaching, understanding that like there are problems to solve and there are users and user needs. And like, how do you understand those? And how do you go through the process of solutioning? So that was, that was amazing. And uh, I was there for about a year. Actually, I was there for about six months. And then I realized, hey, they really need a creative director because they had a senior director um, who was really awesome, but he was stretched very thin. And they had two different design teams for different parts of the, the experience. And they were missing a middle manager level. And it was, it was interesting because there were a couple of points where the designers were kind of like making up their own link colors and things that kind of made me twitch a little bit. Like, why don't we <laughs> have it like, just decide on a link color. You know, it's really simple, but there's no sort of authority there telling them like, okay, <laughs> we need to decide. Here's how we're going to work through it. And so I raised my hand about six months in and I went to the senior director, the, the head of UX at the time and said like, I have creative direction experience. Can you, can you give me this role? Like, I want to take it because I can do way more. And, you know, he gave me sort of a typical answer, which is like, you, you haven't been in the role for 12 months. Our policy is you need to wait for 12 months. But I appreciate that and like keep coming back to me. And so I saw that as an opportunity to like prove myself, to like get out ahead, to take on anything and everything and like prove like I can do this and to take leadership without having that authority. I think that was like my first lesson as a leader is like, you don't have to be given authority to show leadership. Yeah. You don't have to be given a certain title to show leadership. And so I did that. And by the time 12 months came, it was like a no-brainer. I, I just slid directly into that role. You know, you had to go through proper process and all that, but I slid into that role. And then shortly after that, the two teams were merged. And then shortly after that, my boss actually ended up having a, a personal situation he had to deal with. And so he, he actually ended up leaving the company. And it was kind of like, boom, 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 boom. Like layers of management kind of ended up moving on or leaving or shifting for, for various different good reasons. And before I know it, I find myself as head of design. So I'm probably giving you a much longer answer than what you asked for, but it's, uh, it's yeah, it's, I, I had to learn how to be a leader, not just a manager. I had to learn how to be a leader really fast on my own. And then the nugget, the takeaway too, is uh, the insight is a lot of people wait to be given that authority, right? Like they, they work, they, you know, the, the, this is the role I've been given. So I'll stick to my lane. And then, you know, hopefully someone will see that and give me a promotion versus like you, you took the initiative. And uh, I think that's, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, I think showing that initiative or just kind of going for it is, is what will help you uh, grow yeah. within the organization or, or across organizations. Absolutely. I see a lot of people who kind of quietly wait until I, you know, I, I have the opportunity to sort of see it and then like pull them aside and be like, no, you're not, you're not going about this right. 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 <laughs> that, well, that's great, you that you had, <laughs> <laughs> it's great that you had someone that you're doing that for someone. Yeah. I, I don't think I played the corporate game very well. <laughs> I think I had to start my own thing and then just because there's so many things I had to explain, uh, expand and learn to do, I just kind of, you know, kind of just learn to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hey, I envy that, right. There's, a lot of work that goes through. Yeah, the grass is always green on the other side, but <laughs> you have your own challenges. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Without all the resources of a venture backed, uh, you know, company, but yeah. <laughs> okay. That, that was really good. And then from there, how did you end up at, at Gap and then at Dropbox? Yeah. So I was at Monster for about five years and my role had 
you know, I had evolved a handful of times and, and I had opportunity to work on so many different types of projects from job seeker experience to employer experience, you know, working with lead gen and sales. Oh gosh, I created my first design system from the ground up there, which at the time was the design system wasn't even a word that people knew anything about. White label government. Like I learned so much there and I got to a point where, again, I kind of hit a point that I'm like, I, I learned a lot. And, and I'm just, I'm ready for something fresh. And I've been in the industry for a while. And it just so happened that the company actually, you know, ironically, I joined in 2008, which is like the worst time, the worst year to have joined a recruiting company <laughs> in the recession. <laughs> and so the company is just having a hard time. The market wasn't really doing well. It wasn't a time where you know people were hiring a lot. And so they actually were starting to do like rounds of layoffs. And just about the time where, you know, and I'm, I'm really not, not saying this to say like, well, I didn't want you anyway, but like it, the, the stars aligned. I was ready to move on at the same time that they were like, we're, we need to actually make some changes. And so they came in at one point in like their third round of, of layoffs and they took an entire layer of directors to vice president and just sort of like leveled their, their leadership. And so it was, it was like a blessing in disguise. And so at that point, I kind of took a little bit of time to, to like really think about what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? My husband and I had moved from, we met in California and I had moved to Massachusetts because I wanted to go back home. I'm from Massachusetts. And so we were living in Massachusetts and I was you know, working at Boston, which is based in Cambridge at the time. And, and you know, we, we, I kind of got to the point where I'm like, well, it's it's hard to go home. And I had moved back to a really small town in Massachusetts and it just didn't feel the same. And I was kind of craving California again. And my siblings live in New York. And so, so anyway, kind of a long, long story way of saying I was, we were looking at like relocating and I wanted to go into a completely different industry. And I have that, I have a really strong growth mindset. I really want to learn something new. And so I started looking around. I actually took a little bit of a gig working with a product manager from Monster that she had moved on to a startup inside a larger company. And so I, I took a gig working with her for a few months, which was really fun working on like a, a, a video product, a video editing product aims towards uh, consumers. And she happens to know someone who, a friend of a friend of the head of UX at Gap. And at first I was like, oh, I don't know. I kind of gristled at retail. I was like, I don't know. Like, what are the hard problems to solve in retail? And man, was I naive. <laughs> I was really naive. And so I kind of took this, this phone call with the, the woman who's Sarah Hammond. She was the head of um, UX and photo studio and front end dev at that time. And I kind of took it as like, a, okay, I'll talk to her with her, but I don't really know. I spoke with her for two and a half hours. And not only is she like a super amazing person, but the opportunity she presented to me to say like, hey, retail is not just like e-commerce. We have this whole stores space. Like we have physical stores and the technology there, it's outdated. There's like, she didn't use the words at the time, but what she was really speaking to is service design. Like there's this mm -hmm. opportunity to connect individuals, you know, customers with associates and managers and then have, you know, sort of technology, some kind of underlying system, connect all of them. And that's what really piqued my interest. And like she, she had me in that first two and a half hours. So I was on a flight out to California to interview within like a week. And so I ended up shifting over to, I was interviewing with a handful of other places. I had you know, a couple of other, other offers I was entertaining, doing different things, but I was really gravitated towards like the hard problems to solve and the people, frankly. I mean, I also, I, I, I crave to be around people who are open, em empathetic, low ego, you know, who are all working together. So all of that was really interesting to me. So um, this is another where 
they, they had two people on the design team at the time I joined, and they had been actually outsourcing a lot of their design work to a couple of agencies, and they were looking to build up the practice. And so this is another moment where I kind of took a step back because they didn't have a director or even a manager role open. They had, again, a senior visual des- designer role open, and they wanted someone who had the background of visual design and front-end development to, to build that, that skill because the two people who were, were there, the, the head of UX, and there's a, an interaction designer, they, they both had a, a very heavy like HCI, cognitive sci background. And so we were sort of like, we complemented each other really well. So I came and actually helped build up the practice with the head of UX at the time. And for, I was there for seven years. And, and throughout that time, we, we really partnered in developing the practice like from the ground up. We grew the team to 28 people, inclusive of research, writing, design ops, all that stuff. Built a design system from the ground, built two design systems from the ground up, built those practices. And then I, I kind of like hopped around in my role. I actually, I should back up. I was a visual designer there for like a year. <laughs> <laughs> and then again, moved up to creative director and then moved to director of UX. And my title the entire time was creative director. So I oversaw the creative direction of all of our applications across the entire team, like all of our, our experiences. But I, then I also, depending on where the company needed leadership and depending on the conversations that myself and, and the head of UX, Greg, we would have, we would sort of decide like where either the company needed me to go or where I desired to have a change. And so I had design system and I have creative direction and copywriting, but then I would spend a little bit of time in like the e-commerce space for a bit, which is where I started for the first few years. And then I would shift into like teams, sorry, stores the, in the physical in-store experience. And there are a handful of different places where I kind of shifted my seven years there. And then I got to a point again where seven years in, I'm bored. I want to learn something <laughs> new. And it was really bittersweet because we were very deliberate about who we chose to join the team. And we were family, like we were a very close-knit family. We knew each other on, a, on such a personal basis that it was really, really hard to decouple sort of the work from the personal. And so, I mean, I left that building on my last day, just sobbing, like going around the building saying goodbye, but I just, it, it was hard. It was very hard to say goodbye, but I had to, I, I had become restless. I become work, began working about a year before I decided I need to move on. I began working with an executive coach and I brought to her this, like, I feel restless. I don't know what to do about it. I feel like there's more growth. I feel like, you know, I've hit a ceiling of sorts, not really by anyone's doing, just sort of where how the organization was was set up at that time. And I feel like I need to, I need to help myself push past that ceiling. And I didn't really know how to do that. So she helped me really do some soul searching and really articulate what is what is the thing that I need. And I came to the conclusion that like I have to move on. I have to go, I have to go learn something else. And, I, and, and also she helped me build my own confidence saying, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a director now. I eventually want to get to a point where I'm a VP or a chief uh, experience officer, or, you know, I, I feel like I have it in me to have that level of leadership, but I need to create the opportunity for myself. So as luck would have it, I, I kind of started looking around a little bit. And then as all good jobs come, I had someone who I had worked with previously who moved on and she had moved on to Dropbox and she had actually asked me to be a reference for her for that job. And I said, oh, I noticed that like Dropbox has this position. 
you know, you think you could connect me with your recruiter. I'd like to have a chat with them. And she said, oh yeah, you know, I'll give you a reference and all that. And so, so yeah, moving on to Dropbox and I, I, my interview cycle there was about four months actually, because I had to slow down and wait for a reorg. And they were going through some massive changes over there. And, and so I interviewed for one team and then it turned out like it kind of wasn't a good fit. And I interviewed for the enterprise team. And that was like a, a perfect fit, both from the, the scope and the, you know, the, the sort of dynamics of the team. They were also building a little bit of, I don't know if I'd call it a startup within a larger company, but it was a new arm of the business. It was new for, it was sort of a, a testing of the waters for Dropbox to see, hey, you know, should we play in the mid-market enterprise space? And that was really my role is to work with a GM and the head of engineering to identify what is that space. And to me, that was actually a really amazing growth opportunity because I had been working in, in a realm throughout my entire career of saying, hey, we have, we need to create an experience. And here, you know, let's identify what the customer's needs are and let's create the experience for them. When I shifted to Dropbox, I was actually able to take on a more strategic role. So leaning a little bit more into like business strategy. And I learned so much about how to connect sales and service, how to work differently with PMM, how to pull like data and research and, and how to get like an understanding of what's happening in the market. Because part of what we need to identify is what is our position in the market as an FSS platform? And what does that mean in mid-market enterprise? And so it was hard. It was one of the hardest transitions in my life, honestly, but I had some really good support and some of the other leaders I was working with to sort of guide me on how I can articulate where I see opportunity. And, and also, I mean, we all have imposter syndrome. So, you know, I had some really honest moments where I said, like, I'm out of water here. I don't quite know how to, how to articulate what's on my mind or even sort of how to approach this exploration. But I, I don't know, it's a really proud moment for me to be able to, to say, like, I feel like I did that quite well. And I was like, I got some really good feedback with, with how I sort of leaned into identifying where should we, where should we be taking this part of the business as sort of like the foundation to, okay, and then where should the experience go? Yeah. And that was probably a, a recipient of your work because then for, you know, we, we ended up kind of graduating over time with Dropbox as the company grew. And at some point we had yeah. an enterprise account and all that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. All the, all the things to manage, deploy, scale, all of that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I spent the first year doing that. I completely missed out the, um, I, I spent the first year on the enterprise team and then the company went through another reorg and they combined all the different segments, personal, small business, very small business, mid-market enterprise into one. So I was actually invited to head up that entire org. So overnight, my org like quadruple <laughs> from uh, 10 people to 40 with a dotted line of about additional 20. So total roughly around 60 people inclusive of product research, product design, research, writing, all that. And that was yet another foray into shifting away from mid-market enterprise and more holistic ownership of, you know, sort of being at the helm. I wouldn't say I wholly owned it myself. I had an entire team and directors and managers leading the core. So the Dropbox product that you know today, that was the entire team that we had brought together with an engineering product and design. Yeah. So I was there for about a year and it's, it's an interesting it, sort of, it, interesting it seemed journey. like a very compressed year. Cause it seemed like you, you got a lot done there. 
<laughs> yeah, it was. Well, I was I was at Dropbox for a year and seven months. So I was, yeah, I was yeah, heading up the core product for about yeah, seven months. Seven. And I sort of got to a point where I feel like it, it wasn't the right fit for me, although it was the, the role and the job and the scope that I was really excited to take on. And I felt very blessed and privileged to, I mean, it was, it was like, from my, my perspective is that was, that was sort of like one of the most sought after design leadership roles at Dropbox at the time. But for a handful of different reasons, I kind of felt like, I don't know if this feels right. And I had someone I worked with previously who gave me a ring and said, Hey, this company Dialpad, they're looking for a VP to scale the practice. And I think what, what didn't feel right to me is that I was so far from the work and there were so many layers and there, the sort of the construct of how Dropbox was set up at the time, you know, like any company, they're going through their evolutions and changes on how they, they build a company, go after their market. But it, there was something about how close I was to the work or not, how not close I was to the work that didn't quite feel right. And so when I was kind of tapped for this role at Dialpad, I was like, oh, yeah. I love building practices and I've learned, I, I went to Dropbox to learn what it's like to be part of a 150 person design organization, which is very, very different than 28 people. So yeah, that's how I found myself at Dialpad. It's, it's just been amazing. Like taking all the tools and practices and things that I've learned throughout the years on like, you know, leaning into the business, working with humans and people and supporting them and setting them up for success, creating org structures, defining the, the sub practices. So that's, that's why I'm here. It's been really exciting. It's been a lot of fun. Can you, as you've transitioned from a, an IC, an individual contributor, from the individual designer to leading, you know, even if you could remember insights from going up to higher responsibilities, like a creative director, and then now a, a leader of uh, people and leaders of teams, could you give us some of the learnings and insights, especially, you know, it's because, you know, you're transitioning from very hard, tech, I would say, technical skills to more, I think, soft skills and EQ. And that's kind of what I've been through, seeing, reflecting my own journey as I've become a, a leader, yeah. of, you know, just going from an individual who designs and codes to, to you know, leading people and teams. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I've learned a lot of very humbling lessons. I'm going back to my first my first time as a manager, my first gig as a manager in a, in a, you know, publicly traded company, at least larger company at Monster. So, I mean, I think like high level, there are a few things. I mean, one, it's, it's interesting. My, my, I keep saying to my team here is like the, the theme of this year is manage up. Like let's get really good at managing up. And, you know, for any listeners who don't know what that means, please go Google it, find some resources because there's a ton out there, but it's really important for a couple of different reasons. I mean, one is like, I found myself in a position previously a couple of times in my career where I feel like I'm doing all this amazing work in the background. I'm doing the thing and, and my boss trusts me. Like I've actually had my, my, my boss come to me and say like, I trust you, you got this. I know you're doing the thing, do your thing. But then when it comes time for me to say, okay, but I'm ready for a promotion, or I'm ready for this or for more or whatever, I find that because I did not articulate all the things that I was doing and keep him like abreast of the, the, the progress and the why, that was a much harder sell. And so one of the, the, the times where I got to where I said, you know, I'm, I'm ready for a promotion. And he's like, well, I can't really justify that. I'm like, okay, over the next few weeks, I'm going to sit with you you know, half an hour at a time. And I'm going to walk you through every single little piece. And I might go down to too much detail, but I'm going to make really sure that you understand exactly what work myself and my team have been doing. And so part of it is like self-advocacy. The other is that when you're sort of, when you're at an IC level, I don't think what you see is that 
the leadership at like an executive level and above, they don't have sort of the, the bandwidth to go down into the weeds or to even ask to go down the weeds. And sometimes they're so separated from the work on the ground, they don't really even know what to ask for. But they really, really need that information to understand what our team's working on, both to be able to help drive sort of the, the strategy or the direction of the company or where we should be leaning in, knowing what progress we have and where we could potentially go. Like having those details is really helpful for leadership. So it's more of like support them and support yourself by sharing and figure out how to manage up really well. The other is that, you know, there is, there's a human element to all of our work, right? And so, well, one, if we think back to like executives, they need 30% of my role, if not more, is keeping an eye on who is on my team. Are they doing well? Am I supporting them? Am I giving them the stretch assignments? Are they struggling? Are they maybe not, not the right fit? And that's manifesting itself maybe in performance issues that could be addressed a little bit differently than pipping someone, right? And so you need all of this nuanced information to understand how do you, how do you help your team and how do you scale and mature your, your, your organization. I tend to take it as like, I like to make sure I'm taking care of the humans and I need to know as much context about those humans as possible. But then there's also the very real black and white is that each individual is hired to do a job for the business, to move the business forward. And so there does need to be that like constant like discussion evaluation of, you know, how the team's doing. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a, I find that it's, it's that fine balance of, yeah, you, you got to take care of the human, but also making sure, yeah, they're they're meeting the needs of the business, or they're uh, set up to meet the me- needs of the business. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, the other is, and sort of aligned to the the human piece is like, I learned to um, make sure that I'm taking time to get to know the people on my team and and show show vulnerability, right? So I'm actually. By my nature, I'm I'm pretty much an open book. I'm fairly transparent, and and I I do make sure to take time to tell my team like, oh, you know, I I goofed up or I wasn't thinking about this thoroughly enough, or like, hey, help help educate me on something that maybe I need to educate myself on a little bit more. And the vulnerability piece is really really important, not only to be able to model like, hey, I'm a human too. You know, I'm not perfect just because I have this title and this role it doesn't mean like I do everything perfectly, or I think I do everything perfectly, but it's also to make sure that there's psychological safety within the team, that if at any point, anyone on my team feels like something's not working, or they feel like maybe they're in over their head and they don't know how to show it, they need support in any way that they, personal or professional, that they know that they can actually come to myself or anyone on my leadership team and talk about it. And then we can come up with a plan. Like humans are not cogs to me. And I think sometimes businesses aren't communicative about that enough with the people in the company. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think sometimes businesses would, they think that they try to fit people as if they were cogs, right? Like just change and move, but it's, you know, you you have to manage kind of like the differences. Talk to, talk to us about, you know, being a woman in tech and kind of in this industry. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I try to not think about it too much. <laughs> I, I think, I don't know. I guess I'm one of those people that I, I kind of, I try, I don't know, this might sound a little insensitive, but like I try to not over index on my, my, my gender or my identity. I, I try to focus on like, where can I position myself best? Where can I articulate 
when I feel like I need to be included and involved involve more and just be my own best advocate. And yeah, I mean, I think that there are times where, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm naive and I I, you know, should be advocating more or I'm not being included or given opportunities that, you know, I, I should get. But I like to build relationships a lot. And so what I do is I make sure that I identify a handful of people, especially within the organization that I'm in in different functions at different levels to build those relationships and create my own sort of advocacy within the company. But yeah, I mean, I think that there, there is sort of like a, I don't know how to put it. Like I I do want to acknowledge there is, there is sort of like a, there's an established culture, right. Of, you know, majority cis white males within tech and, and it's there. And I don't really, I don't like to attribute like, you know, blame or, or poo-poo. I think it's just, it is what it is, but I mean, I'm, I'm married to a cis white male. Like, I don't, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not feeling any, any negative emotions um, right. about that. I think that there's some really good progress on helping, you know, other, other people who identify as, as women or binary or, you know, differently. And I think that there's a ton of, there's a ton of support in different groups that help, help provide guidance and I'm part of some of those that, I don't know, it's helped. Yeah. I, I really know how to answer that question. Yeah. It's like, well, I, 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 I over index and I look yeah. to support where I can. Yeah. Well, uh, you mentioned a uh, part of a group and I saw that you're part of chief as well. So tell us, tell us about that for, for people who don't know what, what is chief and, and how are you involved? Yeah. So chief is a group that's um, sole existence is actually for creating a, a network and uh, sort of a safe space and a, a set of resources for women who are in executive positions. So, you know, chief ala like CEO, but they're the individuals within the um, the members. Sorry, are primarily sort of like executive level, VP level, uh, or above. And it's really great because it it provides sort of a safe space. I meet with my core group, which is about six women maybe a little more. We meet on a monthly basis and we have an executive coach that kind of leads us through any topics of the day and kind of, you know, provides a a space for us to talk about like, you know, how are things going within our organizations? How are we feeling about like the, the balance between work and life? Because quite often women are, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a working mom. I have kids. I have, I have job two and three at home. Never mind my day job. And it's really challenging. It's very challenging to struggle. I mean, to struggle, to struggle. It's challenging to juggle all of that and feel like you can be on top of it both at work and home. And so a lot of those topics come up like, how can you be an effective mother while also being effective in the work? And Chief does a really good job of sort of like pairing, creating the right opportunities for like meetups and, and you know, just in general meeting across different geos and different industries and, and providing really solid content to help us consider you know, sort of like, like paint a picture of what does success look like for women who have sort of like reached a, a chief, like a CEO status. And what, what I think is really good about it is, and, you know, not to, not to sell, sell chief on anyone, but I think what's really nice about it is it does create that safe space. And I think that there are a lot of women out there who are kind of like, they're quietly struggling. And sometimes you see that when, you know, we're all working from home now and you see the kids kind of like wander in and like, you know, start to try to pull mom away from work or, or whatever, or you see someone, you know, join a meeting and they just, they're exhausted. And for whatever reason, you can't tell, but like, they're having a hard time just like keeping up with like the conversation or whatever. 
it, it's a real it's a real challenge, and it can be really exhausting um, doing both. But I think that there are many women who who don't feel like they have a space to talk about it. And so what Chief has done is really create that space and let's say like, yeah, you struggle with it. I struggle with that too. How do you deal with that? What are your coping mechanisms? Yeah. And are there any prerequisites or requirements for joining Chief or can any woman join a Chief? Like, do they have to attain a certain level? Yeah. I mean, my understanding is they, they have to actually be in, in an executive level yeah. role. And uh, yeah. what are some of the, uh, are they pretty what does it cost or what it, what does it cost? I think membership, they might have different tiers of membership. Like basic mm-hmm. membership is a uh, little over $5,000. Yeah. yeah. I mean, don't quote me on that. Yeah. I'll, we can look it up. <laughs> thank you. Talk with the rep. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. This is all good stuff to be aware of that, that exists for, for people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Some, well, I know we're getting up in the hour. So Nicole, thank you so much. It, are there any resources that, you find useful that you, you know, like any favorite books, design books or leadership books that uh, you'd recommend? Oh, I have a handful. I have a whole book list. You can share that. uh, We can share that in the show notes if you, nothing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'm happy to, you know, it's, it's sort of an oldie, but a goodie, uh, but how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's a must read. Like if you don't know what other people are trying to accomplish and you don't kind of pair that and do sort of like a yes and you get a really hard time getting anything done but it's kind of pairs like empathy in with with how you operate there's also a great book by um scott belsky um making ideas happen okay um, that's kind of, that kind you... of an older book yeah see um, i read his uh, the messy middle oh really i haven't read that uh, one yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have an old email of him when he was first starting out Behance, like from, you know, my personal Gmail many, many years ago. And then we connected, like I I must've been one of the, you know, early joiners of Behance. And then we, I think he called me at one point. uh, We talked. (laughs) Oh yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I doubt he'd remember me today. (laughs) Yeah. But, but we, you know, as a company, we work with Adobe. So that's kind of (laughs) cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's, it's a really practical, I mean, I think it, especially as leaders, it's like, gosh, there's so many different Mm -hmm. things you could do every day. And I think it really, it's helped. I've referenced it for like 10 years now. I'm like, how do I clear my mind? How do I get what's in my mind out into a format that helps me like get the things done that I need to get done? Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's kind of going back to those, uh, having good frameworks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I listen to like Tara Brock a lot too for mindfulness. Oh, that's Tara Brock, but it's always good to go on a nice walk in the morning and just clear your mind and not think (laughs) serious and put things in perspective. Yeah. I have a meditation app called 10% that I have like a membership that's uh, been, yeah, I I find it very, very nice. Yeah. Great. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your experience with us. We learned a lot about your journey and I can see how we can apply it. Yeah. yeah awesome thanks. well thanks for having me it's fun yeah thank you thank you for joining us on this episode of what is ux if you like this episode be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform if you leave us a review i'll make sure to shout it out on the show if you have any questions send them to questions at what is ux.co and our guests and i will try to answer them on the show and you can always find us on what is ux.co see you on the next one <laughs>